Hello and welcome back to the Neventoff podcast, an NFL UK podcast brought to you by UK fans for UK fans. Week six is now in the books, so we're here to bring you the highlights of the week. So we're going to be going through the the five best games, what we thought was good, bad, etc. Before we get started, as always, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Nevin Toft and send your mailbag questions to neventoft at gmail.com. I'm joined, as ever, by my co-host, Nev. How are you doing, mate? I'm excellent and thoroughly excited to be introducing a bunch of new weekly awards that we thought of to go along with our game analysis. So, good, exciting stuff, hopefully. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you sort of spoiled it there. Because, Sorry, spoiler alert, Yeah, so, I mean, we're, we're going in at the end. Instead of doing the, the picks and everything that we've been doing for the past few weeks, we're going to be introducing weekly awards after we do our um, sort of highlights of the week. Um, so, we've got a few awards for you guys at the end of the show. Um, but we'll start with um, what I was most interested oh, yeah. of during the the week which was Chiefs Patriots mm-hmm. Sunday night football it ended 43 to 40 um, and I think it's fair to say that Mahomes went toe-to-toe with Brady on this one yeah. I, I think you'd agree with that absolutely stared him right in the eye wasn't perfect throughout the game I think first half was a bit up and down you saw some I mean to be I think he just looked a little bit nervous which is to be expected like prime time against the golden boy against Belichick it's fair that a few nerves crept in there he had a couple of bad turnovers in there but generally especially in the second half we saw the Mahomes that we've seen for the first five weeks of the season just lighting them up and towards the end really the pay it just turned into one of those classic type of games where last team with the ball is is ultimately going to win Chiefs again Andy Reid's known for his poor clock management and it was sort of a weird one in like the best possible way where coming towards the end of the game I think it was they were down a touchdown or something and then they score in like four seconds with a Tyreek Hill bomb leaving Brady and the Patriots like three minutes or something so Brady and Belichick were like okay cool we'll just run out all the clock and kick a game-winning field goal which they did but I mean if you're the Chiefs you've got to be not thrilled obviously because you lost but they can take a lot out of this game they know what they are as a team now so you'd hope that it's sort of a learning experience from them they know they're up in that upper echelon and they can just kick on from here really so I mean before we get into the nitty-gritty of the game and we go into stats and everything I just want to sort of break it down team by team yeah. so I mean just just first of all the Chiefs as a team they're five and one we, we've seen before many times with, with this organisation under Andy Reid that they start off really hot. Sometimes they even go, they, I think they've gone 8-0 and twice in yeah, the last sort of five or six years. They were five, yeah, they were 5-0 and last year and then it was like either the year before or the year before that. They started off 8-0. and Yeah, so, I mean, and then they just fall apart yeah. and we don't really hear anything from them. And then them. lose in the wild card I suppose round. the first thing with the Chiefs is uh, how much do you think that's changed with the new identity under Mahomes uh, and, and how legit do you think all these weapons are? I mean, the list goes on. Kareem Hunt, obviously Mahomes. You've got even guys like Spencer Ware and then obviously yeah. the big a, guys. Spencer Ware as a backup is yeah, ridiculously good. You know, Tyree yeah. Kill, Travis Kelsey, Chris Conley. And Sammy then Watkins. Even Sammy Watkins. Yeah. I mean, the, Can't it, stay healthy, it just but. keeps going yeah. and it's just they, they have all of the ingredients here. The only thing that worries me about this team is that Andy Reid is notorious for his game planning early on. And then when things start to adapt and people start to see what teams are about and the real coaching comes out towards the end of the season, he doesn't seem to have it in that regard. How, what do you think about yeah, that I, dynamic? I mean, the, the question then is... Is Patrick Mahomes an Aaron Rodgers type of guy talent-wise where 
he can overcome bad coaching just through his own unbelievable talents. And obviously, the, through the first six weeks, we haven't seen, as you mentioned, the Andy Reid sort of, I don't want to say bad coaching, but as you say, like when he has time to prepare, he comes up with all these great elaborate game plans. And then that sort of breaks down a little bit and they get a bit more familiar. So I don't think we've quite reached that point yet because it's still Andy Reid's pitched a really good start to the season so far through six weeks, even the last couple of weeks when Mahomes wasn't quite on it. But yeah, I mean, it comes down to how you think of Patrick Mahomes ultimately. And I think that he is good enough for when that inevitable slump under Reid comes, that he's good enough to at least make a few plays to get them over the edge. The question then becomes, is the defense good enough to hold in there during those moments? And I think what the Chiefs have to be is similar to like the Dolphins in a way where the Dolphins offense, I mean, the Dolphins team in general is built entirely on big plays. It's big screen passes to the house from Wilson, the odd deep shot, and then turnovers on defense. So at their best over the last couple of weeks, the Chiefs defense has been not quite exactly that because they don't force a bunch of turnovers. But what they are good at is getting a lot of sacks. And so when they've managed to get teams into third down, then the likes of D Ford, who's having a career season, Justin Houston and those guys can put up some really good pressure stats, get a lot of sacks. And that is ultimately what props them up because I mean their secondary is terrible without Eric Berry Skandrick's been a disaster on the bat I mean they've basically just got Nichols playing cornerback at the moment I mean Ken we love Kendall Fuller but he's not really a boundary corner he's been fine but in the nickel is where he's best same goes for Skandrick and Skandrick's lost a lot of his juice over the last couple of years so he's not the same player he was so that secondary is going to get torched all season long so then it becomes can Justin Houston, D Ford, Chris Jones and those guys get enough pressure to make enough game-changing plays where the offense doesn't have to do everything didn't do it this week but they have done it the previous week so when Justin Houston's back from injury that's the hope if you're the Chiefs ultimately. Yeah and then I mean from the perspective of the Patriots you look across the other side of the ball in this game um, I mean they stumbled early on and and people as always were were starting to say again we've heard it many times that it's the end of the Brady Belichick era and Brady's finished etc. I feel like they've shown a lot of resilience and I think they're going to go on a long classic Patriots run here of, of winning a few games in a row uh, and really putting themselves in the position to go for that number one seed come the end of the season I suppose big tiebreaker over the Chiefs helps as well I suppose my my big sort of thinking point with this one when you look at it from the perspective of New England is Sony Michelle is coming on very well he had 24 attempts 106 yards two touchdowns uh, and I mean, we, we've seen late in, in QB's careers, running backs like this can often take the reins. Obviously, the, the main example being Terrell Davis in Denver, took the reins off John Elway and sort of led them to that Super Bowl at the end. This one's for John, uh, is the classic quote. But I mean, how do you think that's going to be the case here with Sony Michelle? Or do you think it's very much still Tom Brady's team? I mean, obviously, it's Tom Brady's team, but I think... A lot of people sort of taking Sony Michelle in the first round was a pretty unpatriots-like thing to do. But then you look at him the last couple of weeks, and he's exactly what they need. They what they haven't had, like they've got by with like the likes of Legarrett Blunt and James White and Rex Burkhead and those type of guys. But the difference with Sony Michelle is if there's a hole there, he gets a lot more out of it than other backs. He's got more explosion and things like that. So if there's five yards there. 
Sony Michelle's going to get six, seven, eight yards out of it, whereas other people would get five and then they go down. So, and then with Sony Michelle, if there's ten yards there, if there's a big hole, he can hit the hole and take it to the house. He's that sort of explosive guy, and that's exactly that's his role in the Patriots is to take what's there and plus more, basically. So, I mean, I, th- I think it's really interesting what the Patriots' offense has turned into because, especially Gronk, because. I mean, what Gronk is at this point is he's basically the really expensive sports car that you have in your garage that you have, like, covered up so there's no damage to it. And then in, like, big moments in the game, like we saw against the... I think he only had two catches. It was... And then the one at the end was the typical one where it's like, all right, we need to take the sports car out now, throw him one pass, he gets 30 yards and they're in field goal range. So I don't think you're going to see big numbers out of Gronkowski anymore at this point in his career. But for the role they've established for him, he's perfect for it. But you you mentioned their early season struggles and I thought that was just a personnel thing. Obviously, they didn't have Josh Gordon at that point. Edelman was still suspended. So my whole thing going through that struggles, as you always mentioned, like, the temptation is to say, oh, the dynasty's crumbling and all that stuff. But I was like, well, yeah, maybe, but let's wait and see until Edelman's back. Obviously, they got Gordon, so it's like, wait until Gordon's up to speed, and then we can properly judge this offense. Now that they've all got it together, all the roles that they need are taken care of, and I, th- I agree with you. I think they're pretty set up to go on a good run here. The thing is, you mentioned those pieces that they've mm-hmm. got back and added, but two underrated ones that I, I wanted to mention, sort of looking at the production they're getting out of them, and it's not massive production but one guy that I have rated for a long time and we've spoken about it before is Ken John Barner yeah I've always felt that Ken John Barner had a lot more to give in the league he's just an athletic freak he still has sort of Mike Wallace type speed they can use him in a variety of packages as a scat back or whatever to to do the kind of things that Brady expects out of his running backs use him as a wide receiver here and there Uh, I I think he's perfect for New England as well as Cordero Patterson I think Mm -hmm. Cordero Patterson Hasn't done anything really throughout his career. He thinks he's the dog's bollocks. But, I mean, really, when you go and break it down, he had the one season at the beginning where he was returning touchdowns all the time and people thought, this guy's going to be sick. He's still got the ability to return touchdowns, but Brady is getting some production out Mm -hmm. of him on a weekly basis. Like, granted, in this performance, it was one catch for 13 yards, but Cordero Patterson got the Patriots a first down and moved the sticks. Like, you know, those types of guys i mean yeah they they have a bunch of them as you mentioned barner patterson and philip dorsett is in that category as well they're, you know that they're, they're extremely threatening yeah. to be in new england because those are the kind of guys that brady just gets the most out of them they all rally around him and guys that turned out to be nothing elsewhere turn out to be really good pieces of that offense in new england so i mean i see a scarier offense in new england this year than i really ever have seen because he's still got james white he's got sony michelle the new guy who's doing really well obviously julian edelman rob gronkowski and then you look at the other pieces that sort of disappeared and went elsewhere over the off-season, I think he's replaced them with with better alternatives. You know, Amendola went um, and the other running back, Dion Lewis, went. I mean, and and he's replaced them with guys that can produce at the same level, if not at a better level. So, I mean, if... 
and obviously it's a big if. If Brady can stay at an elite level for the entirety of this season, I don't see another team beating them throughout the playoffs and through to the Super Bowl because, believe me, with this system, we've seen it for nearly two decades now, they get better and better yeah. and better. They don't get any worse. The, the beginning of the season, they've often had a few hiccups, but they get better going throughout, and this team is one to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's been, I don't want to say fundamental, but there has been sort of a subtle shift in philosophy with their offense because for those years recently it was all about reliability with players like Edelman, Amendola, James White, Rex Burkhead, people like that, that it's like reliable, they do their job, they know where to be. Whereas, as you mentioned, Barner, Patterson, Philip Dorsett, a little bit more wildcardy in the sense that they're not necessarily those types of players, but what they are is ridiculously explosive. So you mentioned they still have those mainstays. They have Gronk. And they have James White, they have Edelman, the guys that have to be defended because they're so good at their job. And so because you have to defend those guys, you now have the likes of Cordero Patterson, who on any given play can take it to the house. Same goes for Dorsett, same goes for Kendron Barner. So it's just a really interesting mix of guys. Problem with the Patriots this year is their defense. They're still slow. They're very unathletic with the exception of like Devin McCourty and Stefan Gilmore. Other than that, they're still pretty slow. But you tend to trust Bill Belichick, who it seems like over the last few weeks has very much taken the mantle of defensive coordinator for that team. Seems like he's very involved with game planning and whatnot. And really, that's the only chance they have on defense with the personnel they've got is for Belichick to cook up these matchups and all that on a week by week basis for them to hang in there. And then the offense is just going to carry them, as you said. OK, so just to sum up your thoughts on the game, finish 43 to 40. Obviously, Goskowski hit the game mm-hmm. winner. Um, if you sum it up in a couple of sentences, what did you think? It's, I think it's fair to say it's exactly what we expected. Mahomes is for real. Defense, not so much for both of these teams, but the modern NFL, you win with offense, and those these two teams very much signify that. The thing is, I mean, obviously, yeah, we'll get on to the other game shortly, but I think you, you mentioned the defenses. I think that Patriots defense is improving week it's, after it's week. It's certainly improving. You've like, got the McCourty brothers, you know, and they're playing out of their minds, mm-hmm. and you've got, obviously, Hightower. You've got really good pieces that but come together. Slow pieces is the problem. Slow pieces. They're big and they're slow, but... If you get them, if if they can get teams into a street fight, they can win those type of games. But Bill Belichick knows how to manipulate pieces like that and create a defense that works to its strengths rather than its weaknesses. And Bill Belichick knows how to use guys like that. Yeah, perfect example from the Chiefs game was he knows that Hightower can't cover Travis Kelsey man-to-man or even in any type of zone coverage. He knows he can't. So what he did is every time Kelsey split out wide, he had him being covered by a cornerback, but then he also, I think they call it bullseye coverage or something that they've used for years there, where basically every play that Kelsey is split out, Hightower off the line just jams him immediately and then drops into the middle as a linebacker and then a cornerback covers him. And it worked pretty well. So as you're saying, it's exactly the sort of Bill Belichick thing to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, so we'll see how it progresses yeah. in New England. But I, it's going to be a high wire. I think act. this this team is one to be reckoned with yeah, yeah, for sure. as as 
both sides of the ball. I yeah. think it's not just the offence, but I think they've got stuff brewing there on defence with a great defensive mm. mind uh, in Belichick. So the the Dolphins and the Bears was mm. another good one. Um, I mean, talk about heart-wrenching. This one went on and on and on, and it just wouldn't end. Uh, but eventually, 31-28 was the final score with Jason Sanders hitting the game-winning 47-yard field goal in overtime. Uh, I, I thought it was a brilliant game. What did you think? I thought it was... I mean, as a Dolphins fan, I nearly had an aneurysm watching this one because it was just so back and forth. Obviously, Tannehill didn't play. Brock Osweiler got the start. And so I think the line shifted from, like, the Bears were favoured by three points. And then when the news about Tannehill came out, that shot up to, like, seven or eight points, which, I mean, on the surface is fair enough. Brock Osweiler been a disaster for most of his career. So it's to be expected that the Bears and Khalil Mack were probably going to win this one. But... I mean, what a weird game. I mean, the Dol- I think it was 7 nothing Dolphins at halftime, and you're thinking, wow, okay, the Bears' offense hasn't shown up here. The Dolphins had a good chance. And then start of the second half, the Bears jump out to like a 21-14 lead or something like that. And there's me thinking, oh, crap here. Brock Osweiler's turned back into a pumpkin at midnight again. He threw what should have been a pick six, threw another pick on the next drive, and it just looked like a disaster. And then from there, he just absolutely caught fire. I mean, a lot of the yards came from, like, run after the catch with Albert Wilson and whatnot, who had those two ridiculously explosive game uh, plays of two touchdowns of, like, 44 and 75 yards, which ultimately is what won the game. But then late in the game, Kenyon Drake fumbles on the one-yard line, which would have been the game winner. Bears drive down, miss the 52-yard field goal. Dolphins drive down, hit the game winner. So it was just, you mentioned heart-wrenching. It was just back-and-forth action the whole way through, but... Ultimately, much like Donald Trump, I think Adam Gase likes and prefers guys who don't get caught. And Albert Wilson is that guy. Once he gets going, he just can't be caught. Jakeem Grant's the same way. And that's the only way the Dolphins are going to survive this year. I also prefer guys that don't get caught. It's a good good strategy in the NFL, ultimately. But it's what the Dolphins live on. It's fast guys making big plays and then the defense getting huge turnovers. Two more red zone turnovers, the pick off Trubisky and then the Jordan Howard fumble. And so, I mean, the big plays did it again for the Dolphins in a game that they really had no right winning. But I think the other factor that everyone talks about is the heat and humidity in Miami. And to be fair, that Bears defense, like by the second half, looked completely gassed. I don't think they got a single sack on Osweiler, which is amazing to think the team that was leading the NFL in sacks and pressures and all of that didn't get a single sack. So I guess you have to credit the Dolphins O-line, but yeah, just... I mean, I I don't, I think credit more than the Dolphins O-line, credit the Dolphins organization in general for pulling this one out because for me, again, the Bears, good team, they're they're one to be reckoned with and, and the Dolphins were, you know, we were talking about it on here that, you know, potentially they're not the team that we thought they were and that those three wins at the beginning were sort of disguised wins. A little but, bit fraudulent. You know, yeah. this was not a fraudulent no. win. This this was a legitimate NFL win. Um, and I mean, they, they all are. But I mean, you know, it, it was really good for the Dolphins to get this win. Because it was, uh, yeah, the first three games is games that a lot of people thought the Dolphins should and had a good chance to win. But not many people gave them a prayer, especially with Osweiler starting in this Yeah, one. and I mean, it was just a masterful display from, mm-hmm. from Adam Gase in this one. Managing He's to get, coaching his arse off. Managing to get 100 yards out of Frank mm-hmm. Gore. I mean, at his age, usually Frank Gore is the sort of guy who gets 40 or 50 yards and he's just chugging along, but... Frank Gore had a really good game, 15 attempts, 101 yards. Kenyon Drake had 57 yards. So Big, that... and Ken, full credit to Kenyon Drake because fumbles on the goal line in overtime, 
there's the pictures of him towel over his head, essentially crying. But then next drive, when the Dolphins get the ball back, Gase goes to Drake twice. Two big plays that put them in field goal range to win the game. So full credit to Drake and to Gase for trusting him for that bounce back. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing is, you know, they had that rushing attack going with Gore um, throughout the whole game. And then obviously Drake uh, more towards the end, really. Gore was sort of the bell cow throughout the whole game, which opened up the passing attack for Osweiler. Albert Wilson, 155 yards. What a game. Two TDs as well. Um, And it just kept coming, you know, particularly after the Bears had to account for that rushing attack. 59 yards from Amandola. Especially if you are tired, like that sort of speed is not what you want to be. You don't want to be chasing guys. And and 49 yards and a touchdown from Nick O'Leary. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, I mean... The guy that he's the tight end who doesn't wear gloves. So I respect that. Exactly. So, I mean, a great display from the Dolphins and well done all in all. Um, I think the Bears will bounce back from this one. Coming off a bye, hot weather, these sort of this excuse. I think we're looking at a very competitive NFC North this year. Uh, The Bears are good. The Vikings, I think, are just going to get better and better. Packers, I think, as long as Rodgers stays healthy, I think they're still going to be up there competing in the playoffs. And then the Lions under Matt Stafford can never be underestimated. Mm So they have to. I think it's Dolphins Lions in Miami next week. So they really have to win that game. Yeah. So I mean, watch out for the the NFC North competition at the moment. Both of the Norths in either conference are pretty strong this. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, um, I mean, the third game we'll talk about, Bucks falcons mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought was a pretty good one. Um, obviously, Matt Ryan had a pretty good game. I don't know what, Again, what, were, you, yeah. what were your feelings about this one. 34-29 was I the mean, final I this score. was just the most disastrous defence you've ever seen in this game. I think the Bucks fired their DC, Mike Smith, over the last couple of days, obviously, because he's rubbish and has been rubbish for a while now. But I think they were on pace to be the worst defence of all time, statistically. And obviously, stats can sometimes be misleading, but in this case, the Bucks defense is an absolute disaster. Like they bought all these new pieces: the Jason Pierre-Pauls, Vinnie Curry, Vita Vea, and they've just been completely non-existent. I think Pierre-Paul has the most like pointless like six sacks I think I've ever seen. Like he has five or six sacks this season, but just completely pointless and non-effective. And then Falcons obviously is a bit more excusable with all the major injuries they have on defense. But good lord, the defense was bad in this game. And I think the whole narrative about how offense is just completely dominating and defense is trash this year is a little bit overblown. I think there's a pretty good balance in general. But these two teams are like the pioneers for those type of commenters who are like defense is just awful because they are just so bad I mean we all knew this one was going to be a shootout I think the over for this game was like 59 points and I probably would have taken the over if it was 70 points I have no faith in either of these defenses but as he has been for most of this season Matt Ryan was just balling out of control again I think it was like 300 yards three touchdowns again so he's just doing some outrageous stuff trying to put this team on his back and I mean the Falcons season is probably lost at this point. They have too much ground to make up to even get a wild card. But Matt Ryan's doing everything in his power to get it done. So fair play to Matt Ryan, a guy who, because the Falcons defense is so bad, isn't going to get as much publicity as he deserves. But he has been amazing. Definitely an MVP candidate to this point. But his team's rubbish, so he's not going to get it. And then the Bucks. I mean, the best thing about the Bucks this game, I don't know if you saw it, was that play at the end, the sort of weird lateral play where Jameis Winston runs like a QB draw, lateral, and it was a, I mean, classic Jameis Winston. If they had executed this properly, it would have been a ridiculously amazing touchdown, but 
Winston throws a crap lateral that bounces around and somehow it's picked up by Mike Evans who then throws an equally shit lateral to Deshaun Jackson who has a clean run into the end zone but fumbles the ball around and messes it up so very much typifying what the Bucks have been like the last few weeks just in unable to execute shocking defense but I mean, against the Falcons' defense, I think anyone would look good. So. Yeah, so, I mean, just to go back to the Falcons quickly, I mean, so we, we spoke about it, and I won't go too in-depth with it, but that offense is, is so legit in my it's mind. Like, it's not really fair to tar the whole team no, with the yeah, same brush. I think it's very much a team of two sides where you've got the offense, um, obviously on paper and figuratively as well. You've got the offense. They're fantastic in my mind. Weapons like Julio Jones had a fantastic game, 140 plus Still yards. Still doesn't have a touchdown this season. Yeah, um, but I mean, he's racking up the yardage yeah. and, you know, that's production in and of itself. Sure. Um, Sanu, I mean, the list goes on and on Calvin again. Ridley, Calvin Ridley. Devontae Freeman, who's now exactly. on IR as well. Um, yeah, Coleman. so I mean, it's just unfortunate for the Falcons. Yeah. It's, it's nothing to do. If I was the Falcons, I'd be leaving everything as is for next year. Oh, 100%. Just trying to draft a bit more defense. It's just because you had that very unfortunate set of injuries um, and it's just bad luck. Much like the Vikings when they lost Teddy Bridgewater um, and the other injuries they suffered at the beginning of that season two years ago. Yeah, both tackles and all that. It's just everything fell apart, yeah. Um, And then then from the Bucks' perspective, I mean, when you look on paper, Jameis Winston had a decent game. He was like 75% completion, 30 of 41, 395 yards, four, four touchdowns and then obviously two picks. But we know that's Jameis Winston we know he throws picks uh, we know he's not the most accurate QB but that's a pretty decent game for Jameis Winston I yeah mean, I mean I, to be fair I think if we put you as the Bucks QB you could probably have 150 and a touchdown or something like the, the Falcons defense is that bad now with all the injuries that I don't want to give Jameis too much credit I mean only 150 well I mean for you to get 150 and it's all me that would be a pretty good effort against an NFL defense but and that's what I'm saying. They're just that bad, the Falcons' defense. Now, mate, I go in throwing dimes, 300 <laughs> yards. Um, so, I mean, the the Bucks in general, uh, Deshaun Jackson sort of tailing off at this point. Yeah. Is it seems like the, the house, the house of cards is crumbling. It's going to be a situation where everyone's going to get fired at the end of the year. Generally, you see these like once the de- once a coordinator gets fired, it's generally everyone in the building's like ah fuck we're sort of done now so let's do whatever we can to try and rescue it but i think this as most people expected there's going to be a house clearing at the end of this year uh seahawks raiders um the second to last one we'll talk about 27 to 3 it wasn't a very good game um, it's the london game it's so we worth, worth talk talking about. <laughs> talking about because it's the london game and obviously there's some good storylines in there i mean John, John Gruden's job is already being called for. Like, people are saying, fire this bloke. And it's like, wait, but do you not remember when you signed him to a 10-year, 10-year fully, fully guaranteed, guaranteed contract? 100 like, million. You know, like, it's that's the He's, most yeah. mind-boggling decision. I don't care who it is. He's unfireable, I wouldn't yeah. sign Bill Belichick to a 10-year fully guaranteed contract. Like, you, you can't fire him because you bury the organisation under all the money you have to pay him. I mean, it's just nuts because... Ultimately, I don't think he's got what it takes to be a head coach anymore. I'm just going to say it. A lot of people agree with you. I don't think he has what it takes anymore. I think he had a a bit of luck taking over Dungy's team in... in, 
Tampa. in Tampa Bay, and obviously I, I think he, he did have something, a bit of je ne sais quoi yeah, about John, him. I, I think even now, John Gruden is a good NFL coach. He's a very high-level offensive mind and stuff like that. I think he's a good coach. The problem is, as you said, he's not a 10-year, 100 million fully guaranteed contract coach. And so now the Raiders are in a big predicament. And I think the only thing the Raiders can do now is let Gruden do what he wants to do with the team. If John Gruden wants to trade Derek Carr, wants to trade Amari Cooper, wants to completely house clean, you have no option but to let him do it and let him build a team in his image to do what he wants. So, yes, this season is an unmitigated disaster for the Raiders. There's no other way to put it. It's an absolute tire fire. But you have to have long-term perspective now if you're a Raiders fan, unfortunately, because... No, I don't think John Gruden is some wizard coach who's a good talent evaluator. But you've put yourself in this hole now, so you just have to ride with him. Hope he learns and adjusts as the years goes on and catches up a little bit and can sort of self-evaluate himself and realise he's not the best talent evaluator. Get someone in who can do that side of it and just let him coach. So that's the upside if you're the Raiders fan, where it's like, right, we're stuck with him for now, but you've got to hope that he learns with time and he can turn this around into something. But it's going to take a while, but... I, I think if you're the Ra- I, if I was the Raiders, I would trade Derek Carr. I would trade Amari Cooper. I'd trade anything that you can trade at this point. Completely tear it down and build from the ground up. Get a high pick. Take the quarterback you want. All of those sort of things. I think you have to go complete DEFCON 5 rebuild mode at this point because you have no other option. You're stuck with John Gruden for the foreseeable future. So just make the best of it. Yeah, I mean, really, the storyline about this game is And by John... the way, the Seahawks destroyed the Raiders and you don't really need to talk about it. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, Russell Wilson did Russell this, Wilson yeah. things, blah, blah, blah. London but games are never generally that close. Again, spoiler the, alert. The, the Seahawks game, the, the Seahawks team, I don't rate that highly, which just makes it even even yeah. worse in terms of looking at it from the perspective of the Raiders. I think the main story here is John Gruden. 100%. Um, and it's just sort of going forward. Like, I don't it's, think I don't think anyone was surprised that the Raiders laid a beat, uh, the Seahawks laid a beat down on the Yeah, Raiders. but for the Raiders, in my mind, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until it gets better, you know, it's just the hope. Yeah, you just have to. I think you just have to ride with it at this point. You have to stick with John Gruden because that's what you've done. Ultimately, we can sit here all day and say, "Ha ha ha!" What a stupid decision it was to sign him to a a ridiculous contract like that. But it's done. So, from the perspective of the Raiders, they just have to roll with it. Mm -hmm. And as you said, there's no point fighting him because if you're going to fight him, you might as well get rid of him and just get somebody to stomach the cost of the money that it would it would take to get rid of him but from that perspective you if you're not going to do that which I don't think financially they can afford to do no. you just have to roll with it let him do what he wants to do exactly completely and, yeah, agree with hope you hope he grows and learns as it goes on let which him, is very possible let so, him collect picks and then as you say get in a good talent yeah, um, evaluator I mean, the fun trendy thing to do here is to just bash John Gruden and the Raiders and all that and that's all well and good like everyone has their right to those sort of takes and whatnot but you have to think long term about this and you you have to analyze it properly i think so all the sort of people want to be like oh john gruden's rubbish the raiders are a disaster and it's like yes in a capsule for the moment that's absolutely true but if you have the long-term perspective about it, then stuff starts to make a bit more sense. And yes, it's going to be rough for a couple of years, but it could very well get better in the future. So just wait and see and start to analyse it a bit more long-term because that's the only thing you can do. So Niners-Packers is the last one mm-hmm. we'll talk about. Um, 30-33 to 33 was the final score. Green Bay won it. Um, I mean, 
beats hard. Had an had an okay game. Two hundred great. I thought yeah. Two hundred forty-five yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Um, we do know, by the way, that his name is Bethard. We yeah, just, yeah, of course. We just it's choose to call him... infinitely funnier to call him Beat Hard. Exactly. So, for many reasons. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, this Niners team, it, it's strange to see a team, and I don't think I've ever seen it more, except maybe the Green Bay Packers team last year, where a team just completely loses its identity yeah. when its starting QB goes down. I, I mean, uh, okay, you have Beat Hard at the helm, but I mean... It, this this was a team that was starting off, and you have the offensive genius Kyle Shanahan, and you is got, an offensive genius. And you, by the way. He's not an offensive genius, oh. and you've got Jimmy Garoppolo who comes in, and and this is going to be the the spark that lights the flame of the resistance or whatever that nice. is. Good reference. You know exactly, and, and you've got this sort of aura around this Niners team. It's like, oh, we're going to bring back the eighties and Montana, it's Montana and, again. and Steve Young and all of this. It's Bill and, Walsh and Montana, and then he goes down, and it's just like, oh. It's a pretty shit. But I mean, to be fair, for most of this game, the 49ers were absolutely shredding the Packers' defense, which, granted, isn't as good as I thought it was at the start of the season. Yeah, but bloody Fitz Magic was shredding people at the beginning of the season. But I mean, I think this is similar. You know, I can't remember who it was last week, but the team that just had. Oh, no, it's the Niners again. I think Kyle Shanahan is an amazing coach at this point. The fact that with no Jimmy Garoppolo, two weeks in a row, he's been in with a shout against the Packers and the Chargers. But he's not so much he's better. He's not an offensive genius. I think the, he is. the team is one and five. You can't call a team or a coach. But it's like who is he playing with? Is my my point is he's playing with shit all. George Kittle's a good tight end. Matt Breed is a decent running back. But how many Other games that, did he have Garoppolo for? Three? Or no, four? what was it? He had. So they were 0 and 10. No, this season, I mean. Oh. Was it three? I think it was three, three. games he had Garoppolo yeah, for. Yeah, and to be fair, they struggled a little bit there, but it's, it's, it's weird. Almost like they've been better without Garoppolo, but they just can't win. But the thing about the, the reason I think the 49ers and Carl Shanahan are so good is because the talent on their roster is wank, ultimately. Like, it's gash. There's just nothing there, really, other than, like, DeForest Buckner, really, is the only, like, elite player they have on either side of the ball. The O-line's decent. And even though, yes, they're 1-5, they started 0-10 last year, they were, every single game is close with them against teams that they have absolutely no business being in there with. And Kyle Shanahan, week after week, continues to put it up. But to play devil's advocate, Kyle Shanahan clearly has, like, the talent evaluation and, like, player power of over the roster in that franchise John Lynch is the general manager but I think he defers to Kyle Shanahan a lot and yes Kyle Shanahan's not the best talent evaluator so the fact that the Niners roster isn't good some of that has to fall on Kyle Shanahan and that's absolutely fair enough like picking Solomon Thomas last year or was it last year or the year before over Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson was a pretty stupid idea and then yeah I mean their history over the last couple of years with Shanahan there hasn't been great picking players but he gets absolutely everything possible out of that offense that he can through immaculate design work. So I think Kyle Shanahan's amazing. I don't think this 49ers team has any business being even close in these sort of games. But every single week they are somehow. And Bethard just couldn't quite get it done at the end. They didn't make enough plays in the fourth quarter to close this game out. And then Aaron Rodgers comes back and wins it. But I think Kyle Shanahan's been amazing this year. The thing is, I remember we had this debate a while ago. And funnily enough, this is what brings it to mind. Is we had this debate, and I think you will remember this, about Phil Lodeholt. Yeah. And we had the debate about whether Phil Lodeholt was elite 
which was my opinion, mm-hmm. or whether he was just very good, which was, which was your thought, opinion. Yeah. It's the same thing with Kyle Shanahan, because to, to say somebody is a genius coach, you're giving them the ultimate honour yeah. of coaching to saying that, because that, that's what coaching yeah, I, is. I put him on the same it, thing as Sean Payton and Sean McVay as far as and offensive I, minds. I, I would take Andy Reid and Sean McVay over him any day of that, the week and twice on fair. Sunday. I mean, that's fair, but my point is he's in that class at least, is what I would say. Yeah, I mean, I just think genius is too... I mean, to, to be fair, you have all the stats on your side as far as wins and losses, but just from what I'm watching, he's amazing at what he does. Yeah, I just think genius is too high praise for for the performance that we've seen thus far this season. Okay, so to round out the show, as mentioned earlier on, we're going to be doing our weekly awards. This, we hope, will become a bit of a staple in the show, um, particularly during the season. So uh, we've come up with five awards to start with, potentially based on your guys' suggestions. We might add in a few more or take a few out. So we're going to start with the Nathan Peterman, Peterman Award, which obviously goes to the single worst player of the week. Um, which, I mean, you're, you're going to crown this week's Nathan Peterman Award, but um, it sort of speaks for itself. I mean, how could we not have the inaugural Nathan Peterman Award go to the man himself, Nathan Peterman, who forced into action because Josh Allen, I think, hurt his shoulder or something like that, and then just does Nathan Peterman things, comes in, throws a pick six, which essentially ends the game, on the next drive, throws another interception, just Nate Peterman doing Nate Peterman things, I think I'm ready to crown him as the single worst starting quarterback I've ever seen in my life. So congratulations to Nathan Peterman. Not only do you have an award named after you, you won the award for this week. So good work, Nathan. To be honest, something tells me that this isn't going to be the last time he wins this award. I mean, if if he has to play... If they keep playing him. Yeah, if he plays, he's probably going to get the award, yeah. Okay, so the Plaxico Burris Award. This is an interesting one. So for those of you that don't know, Plaxico Burris is famous for two things. He's famous for catching uh, a game-winning touchdown the catch, in the Super Bowl, the catch in the Super Bowl, and shooting himself in the foot, in literally a <laughs> in a nightclub. He was in a nightclub. He had a firearm that didn't have a safety, and he shot himself in the foot. So this award naturally goes to the team that, or team or player that shot themselves in the foot the most in the week. So who, who are you going for this week? I mean, I don't want to be too repetitive, but. I'm giving this one to the Buffalo Bills for the simple fact that they have Nathan Peterman on their roster still. I think that's grounds enough to be considered the Plaxico Burris Award. It's such a dumb, stupid decision to have him on the roster still. The fact he's being paid to play quarterback in the NFL is ridiculously dumb. So congrats to the Bills. Not only does your quarterback win the inaugural Nathan Peterman Award, but you also get the double duty of having the Plaxico Barres Award for this week. But, I mean, also, there's a bit of context to this one. Obviously, this is the first time we're doing these awards, but bit of context. The Bills also traded Tyrod Taylor, yes, um, you know, yeah, yeah. and all of this stuff. So, they have just been collectively shooting themselves in the foot uh, and Plaxico Barressing themselves for the last sort of eight months. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I think it's well-deserved yep, that the inaugural Plaxico Barres goes to the Buffalo Bills as an entire organisation. Yep. The only 
Jonah, everybody, you, you all shot yourselves in the foot. So well done on that account. So the weekly Onion Award goes to somebody who's had an understated, very good performance. Um, it doesn't I, get talked about So he's the, the unsung hero of the week. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think collectively, again, similar to what I was saying about the Bills, this one has to go to somebody that deserves a bit of recognition, not only for the week, but for the previous weeks. And for me, it has to go to Adam Thielen. Um, it, this is now his sixth straight 100-yard receiving game, which has never been done before in the Super Bowl era um, to start the season. Uh, he's had a fantastic season so far, 700-plus yards, on his way to a record-breaking year. I just don't see him slowing down. Kirk Cousins is going to him time and time again. The bloke is uncoverable. Um, I mean, you know, you can't put a linebacker on him because he's too fast, and you, you can't put a cornerback on him because he just runs his route running is just well, so good so this is the thing it's like adam thielen is he's really fast he's really big he runs perfect routes he's always open and he catches everything to me he's the best receiver in the nfl right now and i think if he wasn't white people would also think that i think he's leading the nfl in catches he's leading the nfl in receiving yards he has four or five touchdowns but people still want to talk about Julio, DeAndre Hopkins, AJ Green, Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham. And it's like, yeah, all those guys are great. But to me, right now, Adam Thielen is the best in the league. And yes, he's starting to get a bit more recognition. But we want to get him in here now as our weekly onion, as our sort of understated hero for now. So, I mean, yeah, I think people have been talking about him. I think, Carl, you mentioned earlier, Carl Brandt of uh, Good Morning Football was saying... He's the MVP of this season so far, and while it's like obviously a wide receiver's not going to win the not going to win the MVP, there's a definitely a case to be made for him, and at the very least, he's the best receiver in the NFL for me. Okay, so I know you've been looking forward to this one for a few days now. The the Bryant McKinney Award. I feel like this is going to become an all timer on this, this is show. This is a legendary one. So the Bryant McKinney Award. For those of you that don't know, uh, Bryant McKinney was a member of the Minnesota Vikings back in 2008. Uh, and all I'm going to say is Google the Viking sex boat scandal um, and you'll know uh, everything I'm talking about. And, and this award goes to the best collective team performance, uh, which this week we're giving to the Dallas Cowboys, um, who totally ran a train on their opponents. Again, um, will make more sense once you Google exactly. it. Exactly. So, um, I mean, get up to speed on the Viking sex boat scandal uh, and you'll see what we mean. Best team performance goes to the Dallas Cowboys this week. Yeah, I mean, it speaks for itself. They dropped 40 points on the Jags, who a lot of people think have the best defence in the NFL. Ezekiel Elliott was completely dominant. They completely bullied them on defence. The Jags had absolutely no answer. Cole Beasley was roasting AJ Boye all game long, which was probably the biggest surprise. So every side of the ball, the Cowboys just completely dominated the Jags, as you mentioned, just ran a train on them for four quarters. It was messy, it was ugly, but it was great to watch at the same time. Hopefully some sort good stories. Sort of like the Vikings sex A bit like the Vikings sex scandal <laughs> with our man Bryant McKinney at the head of it. So fair play to the Cowboys. They've been sort of... They've been criticised a lot this season, rightly, I think, as well, but really stepped up in this one and just completely pounded the Jags into submission. Absolutely. So, lastly, um, it's just a standard MVP award, weekly MVP award. 
Uh, we thought who we were going to give this to, who we were going to name the award you, you'd after. You'd think like Tom Brady or yeah, Pat so, Mahomes or So, I mean, like based yeah. on a weekly performance, we just thought we'd go with somebody who tends to have really good weeks and tail off because, obviously, it's a weekly award. It's not over the course of the whole season. So, we thought, who better than Ryan Fitzpatrick? So, this is the weekly Fitz Magic Award. Um, and this week, it goes to... We got a joint entry for this one. We're giving it to Kareem Hunt and Tyreek Hill for the Chiefs, who... In a losing effort, Tyreek Hill with seven catches, 142 yards and three touchdowns was just completely unstoppable the whole game. And Kareem Hunt, I think he had 85 rushing yards and 105. 105 receiving yards, a couple of touchdowns in there as well, I think. At least one, I think there was so, in there. So one receiving and three for Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Uh, we couldn't really split them. I mean, yeah. It was both fantastic performances mm-hmm. from them. And I mean, really, they are the heartbeat of this. Yeah. I mean, Pat Mahomes has become the sort of brain and hands in the operation but they are the heartbeat he can't get much done without these two fantastic weapons and uh, yeah it's a joint award for Tyreek mm-hmm. Hill and Kareem Hunt anything else to say about that one? No I think we nailed it this one sort of following up in second place getting the silver medal was probably Todd Gurley over 200 yards rushing and a couple of touchdowns but while that was a great performance Gurley does that every week whereas seeing that this type of performance from those two guys I think warrants the award for this week all right perfect so I mean that's about it for this week um I hope we hope you enjoyed the sort of new revamped reorganized show um we really enjoyed coming up with the awards and obviously they'll be uh, on a weekly basis now so um yeah a bit of a change up hope you guys enjoyed it and we'll see you next week